Well, that's truly one of my favorite songs. I know that I have a lot of favorite songs, but I love Forever Holy. And it just always truly reminds me of our purpose and our call. And it says, may it be on our tongues as we live our lives. But then when we've turned to dust, that we'll be raised up to sing Forever Holy. I just love that understanding. And uh, so I'm excited about the message that we have today. And we've been in John, and we're going to continue in John today. So if you'll open with me to John chapter 2, it's on page 1222. The last few weeks we've been in the book of John and John has been describing to us who Jesus is. And I think if you'll put your marker right here, I know I do this to you all the time, but I love to look at why John wrote the book of John. So it's if you'll turn to chapter 20, it's on page 1250. Page 1250, John 20, verse 31. I think it helps us to understand how John is writing and why he is giving us the stories he's giving us. And it says in verse 31, it says, These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's John's whole purpose, is to tell us the things that we may believe who he is. So he's going through and very methodically telling us who Jesus is. One thing I want you to hang on to, because we're going to talk about this a little more later on, is that word life right there. It says that you may have life in his name. That word life is Zoe, and it means both physical and spiritual life. Sometimes we see that by believing in Jesus that we will have eternal life, and that is so true. But Jesus is able to give you far more than just eternal life, even though that is amazing and certainly the goal, he's able to give you the abundant life that begins here and now, the physical life and the spiritual life. So if you turn back with me to uh, chapter 2 to your marker, and we'll talk just a little bit about the last few weeks. So as John is explaining these things, that you might have a chance to know Jesus, and in knowing Jesus that you might believe, and in believing your life might be changed, that you would have eternal life. So he starts off in chapter 1, as you remember, and he talks to us about uh, that In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you remember we talked about this Word is not just His written Word, even though His written Word is a part of it, but it's beyond even the written Word. It's God's every thought. 
It's God's every purpose. It's his, the fullness of his plan. Jesus is God. The fullness of all that God is. And then we go on, and the next week we talked about John the Baptist, and he comes and he declares that Jesus, not only is he the word, and not only is he God, but Jesus is the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. And John the Baptist says this is who he is. He's the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And then we taught and read a little further in chapter 1, and Jesus is calling his disciples to follow him. And they left where they were, and they began to follow him, and they began to see who he was, and they said, this is the Messiah. This is the Christ. This is the anointed one, the one that the prophets talked about that would be sent. This is he. And then last week, we began chapter 2, and there was a lot of information in chapter 2, wasn't there? But we read the story about the, the wedding, and Jesus is turning the water into wine. But how much more we were able to unpack as God opened that understanding up to us, and we saw that there was this ceremonial cleansing that was going to take place and did take place before the wedding. And that's why the water pots were even there. But they were stone. And they, Jesus helped us to understand that he is the stone pots holding the water that was for ceremonial cleansing that was given, given through the understanding of the law of Moses. But Jesus helped us to understand that when he turned that water into wine, that that cleansing would no more be by the water, but now would be by his blood. We saw that the cleansing pots and the water was a foreshadow that you would need to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. One of the things that I absolutely love that the Lord poured out and led us to see is that the wine representing Jesus' blood was given to everyone attending the wedding. All that were attending the wedding, all that received the invitation and came, You know, sometimes Jesus gives us an invitation and we don't go. So if we didn't go to the wedding, we wouldn't have received the wine. But I love the understanding that all that were at the wedding received his blood, his wine, the wine. The other thing that we looked at was the understanding of on the third day that there is a double blessing for the third day. And the wedding, this was on the third day of the wedding. And we went all the way back to Genesis. You remember Genesis 1? And we looked at that. And it helped us to understand that on the third day, God gave a double blessing. And I believe what God helped me to understand is that the double blessing being given is the blessing of eternal life and the blessing of abundant life. 
So it's the blessing of the physical life here that you can live an abundant life in Jesus. In love and peace, in faithfulness, in joy. But you can also be aware of the promise of eternal life. So with those understandings today, we saw at the very end, I want to get this in, is that this understanding was good. That what Jesus did by his blood, by changing the water to wine, was for his purpose. You see, it was for God's purpose, and it was considered good, tov, for God's purpose. I think you're going to see God's purpose fulfilled in the message that we have today. And even though it's totally different, I want you to understand it is for his purpose, and it is good. So we're going to begin to read in John chapter 2, verse 13. It says, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold ox and sheep and dove and the money changers doing business. When he, when he had made a whip, of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the ox and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for the house, I'm sorry, zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show to us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It, was, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scriptures and the word which Jesus had said. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. Okay. So a total different place. Last week we looked at Jesus. He's at a great party and he turns the water into wine and everybody is just enjoying his love and his compassion and it's a great time. And this is who we want to see Jesus as, isn't it? We want to see Jesus fixing all of our situations and all of our problem, problems and we'll just party on. And this is where we oftentimes are um, misguided because we don't understand the fullness of who Jesus is. So I love how John has put the party in here and then next he's put this place of Jesus coming and overturning the tables. 
One thing that I think is important to know is that John is not written chronologically, so it's not necessarily in date order. John is talking to us about things he wants us to know, important understandings about who Jesus is. And he's carefully placing things together for our understanding. Two times he uses the word sign. In verse 18, it says, So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show to us since you do these things? You know, we talk about miracles and miracles are signs, but we talked last week that signs are not only miracles, but they do something beyond the miracle. Oftentimes a sign is not a miracle. It can be just a sign, but a miracle can be a sign, but not all signs are miracles. But a sign, the most important thing to look at in this place is a sign points to something. It's just like if you look for a sign to go to Dallas, you look for the road map, you look for the highways and the signs leading you to the Metroplex. This is what John is doing. Is he's helping us to see the signs. So last week he talked to us about the signs that we saw in the wedding and who Jesus is. And this week we're going to look and see the signs and who Jesus is that John is wanting us to see. It's, if you start back in verse 13 and it says, now it's the Passover of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Of course he did. As we remember that three times a year, the Jewish people went to Jerusalem to celebrate feast. They went at Passover, they went at Pentecost, and they went at Feast of Tabernacles. Because the law of Moses gave them this understandings that this is how they would come and worship and honor God and join him in the celebration, join the Lord in the celebration of his feast. So certainly Jesus is going to be honoring the places of going to the feast. So Jesus is going to the Passover. There's tons of people there. The little bit I've read about um, Jerusalem is that it wasn't that large of a city, but it, it was a decent sized city. But there was believed to be around two to two and a half million people that would come and join into the feast there in Jerusalem. So I can't imagine if you had a town and then you had all of these people. So all, everybody is everywhere. So they're coming. And as you remember, as they come, each family has to bring their sacrifice. They're bringing their animal. Well, many of them have been traveling a long distance. And, and so I think what happened is along through the years, they're going to celebrate the Passover and they've got to bring their sheep or, or their dove or whatever they've got to bring as their sacrifice. And I think this probably got difficult. So as they're traveling, the further they traveled, the more difficult there was. It was. So uh, a business was started. They said, 
you know, business people thought, hey, you know, this would be a great business. People need animals, and they need them here. They don't want to have to bring them. We'll offer this out of convenience, and they can come on into the temple, and we'll have some nice animals here available. And so they had all the animals. You didn't have to bring your animal anymore, which, you know, is totally against God's laws, right? They were supposed to be bringing the lamb into the house. It was supposed to be spotless. They were supposed to have this uh, place of seeking out the lamb that they were supposed to be bringing. But I see they just made it easier by being able to buy your lamb when you get here. Just bring your money and we'll get you a lamb. Well, as it goes along, uh, the people who had the animals didn't want to take everybody's different kinds of money. So they had now another business, another group of people would set up, and they would be an exchange store. So you would bring your money from your location, your coins, and you would come to the money changers, to the exchange office, and they would exchange your money for the money that could be used at the temple. But as it would be, they decided that the best way to do this was to tack on a pretty good rate for do, having this service for you. So they tacked on this extra money. So now you would come to buy your lamb. You've got to go over here to the money changers first. And you've got to have new uh, money that would work at the temple. And it's going to cost you quite a bit of money. So the money changers are making money off of you. Pretty high dollar. And... The people selling you these animals are now making money off of you. And Jesus walks in. And he sees all this going on. And he sees it's not in alignment with his father's purpose. It's not the way God has set things up to be. They've gone their own way. They're doing their own things. But they're expecting God to be okay with it. Oh my goodness, that spoke so clearly to me because I thought, this is so how we do. God says, do this, and we, we justify where we are, and we make excuses for why we're doing it a little different, and we go our own way. And then we expect God to be okay with it. So Jesus walks in. I can't imagine how that was. But it says in the very, in verse 15, the very first thing that it says, it says, when he had made a whip of cords. So I see him coming in. I'm not sure. I can't imagine that he really even said much. I think he just looked around and saw the dishonoring place to his father. And I'm sure there were cords that were there for the animals. So as they had to have cords to bring the animals in and to lead the animals to the sacrifice. So I can see him going around and just gathering up some of these cords and twisting them together to make a whip. This is a far cry from the Jesus that we saw last week. 
where the party is going on and things are happening and out of God, out of Jesus's compassion and love, you know, he keeps everything happy and going in a good way. But in this place, he's not in the party mode. But rather, he comes in with frustration, with anger, righteous anger. And the authority to make a change. So he gets together a whip, and it says, and he drove them all out of the temple. Now, I want you to listen to this because a lot of people, I've heard people say that what he was doing with this whip was necessary because he's driving the sheep out. And that sounds a little bit easier to swallow. That's not exactly what it says. Listen to it. It says he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the ox, the oxen, and poured out the changer's money and overturned the table. He drove them out. He drove the business people out. He drove the money changers out. And he also drove out with them the animals, and he turned over the, the tables and over the money. He was frustrated? Yes. Why? Does Jesus not love these people? Absolutely. Sometimes we want to just remember Jesus as Jesus who loves me. And absolutely he does. But what I think John is saying to us is that yes, he does love you. And yes, he did sacrifice his blood for you in hopes that you would receive his blood. And that's the story of last week. But I think what John is saying is that Jesus does love you, but he can never move away from his holiness. You see, what has upset him here is that these people have disrespected God's holiness. So how do, we dis, how do we disrespect God's holiness? You see, God calls us to be holy. Remember, we've seen that several times in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And it says in 1 Peter, be holy because he is holy. So how we disrespect God's holiness is to come out of alignment with him into our own ways, our own flesh, our own stuff. We are no longer separated from the places that God has wanted us to be separated from and brought us out of. They're doing their own way. They've disrespected the holiness of God. And this is God's reaction to it. 
in verse 16, it says, And he said to those who sold dove, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. But then it has an exclamation point. So I can see Jesus saying this in a very strong, strong way. Do not make my father's house a place of your own buying and selling and profiting. Your own business, your own stuff, your own ways. Don't do this. I want to show you that, um, let's turn to Matthew 21. Let me see if I have a scripture for, uh, a page number for you. I'm not sure I do. Let's look at Matthew 21. I believe that's where it is. Put your marker here. We'll come back to that. Matthew 21, uh, page 1137. Starting in verse 9, it says, Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. So, this is right before Jesus, so this is at a different time, I believe. This is right before Jesus is going to be crucified. He's coming into Jerusalem, yes, for the Passover again. But this time, he knows that this is when things will begin to unfold for his purpose and that he will come to the place of being crucified. Verse 12 says, Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now, interesting enough, some commentaries, some historians believe that this is one incident, one time that this happened, and that the time in John is the same as the one in Matthew and is talked about also in Mark and in Luke, I believe. And I can see why people would think it's the same thing. Is it cool in here? Are y'all chilled? Are y'all okay? Okay, I just noticed everybody a little cool. Okay, so here's the thing I want you to know right here that's so important. I don't think this is two, one incident. I think this is two different times. I think this is two different situations. I think one is early on in his ministry in the time that he goes into the Passover and right there he sees this going on and he's very upset with them and he shows them he's upset and he drives them out and he overturns everything. 
And he says, don't make my house a house of my father's house, a house of merchandise. Don't bring your businesses in here doing this. Here's the thing. I don't think they listened to him. I think just as sometimes we find ourselves when God tells us one thing and we kind of do it for a little while and we kind of get out of it and then we kind of decide it's not that big a deal and we go back to the very destructive places that God has delivered us from and brought us out of. I think it's two places. And I think the second time he comes, right before his crucifixion, then I think he says, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. He says, my house should be a place that you come for worship, for honoring God's holiness, for recognizing who he is. But then he goes on and he says, but you've made it a den of thieves. He's gone. He says, you're so dark now. You were in the darkness before. I set you free. I delivered you out of this. You've returned to it. You are now a den of thieves. I think that's what's going on here. Turn with me back to John. I want to show you a couple of other things I believe that are important here. In this place, John is saying, in verse 17, he writes, Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. Now that's a hard thing for us to understand. But John is writing this in here because the, the disciples who knew the Old Testament well, are remembering this scripture that comes out of Psalm 69.9. But here's the thing I want to tell you about this scripture. This, play, this word zeal. This word zeal, I looked this up. You know, God highlighted this place, and I looked it up. And uh, it means eagerness, like you might think. It means enthusiasm, like you might think. But it also can mean anger. In fact, this word zeal, the first part of this word zeal, the root of it, Z-E, comes from a place that literally means hot enough to boil. Burning hot. So the disciples are remembering, oh, that place, that place where we didn't understand what that means, but we see it unfolding today that Jesus is boiling with anger. I think that the picture we begin to see here is how Jesus looks at our sin, looks at the darkness that we're in. He is boiling hot. He's not, oh my goodness, it's just a little place that you have brought a place of disrespect and dishonor to the holiness of God. He is boiling hot at our sin. And it says, for your house 
has, and, and this says the word here is eaten me up. That means it has consumed me. What Jesus is saying is, and, and, and what was prophesied before him in the Psalms and what the disciples are remembering is that he is so boiling hot it has consumed him for this disrespect for his holiness. The temple where God presence is going on in verse 18 it says so the Jews answered and said to him what sign do you show to us since you do these things in other words they're saying what gives you the authority to come in here and do these things which is interesting if you think about it because he did have authority they left I'm sure everybody was standing around watching, but these folks, they, they left. So his authority did reign. And so the other Jewish people standing around, they're saying, you know, what sign? Can you give us a sign that you have the authority to do this? Because we don't know how come this just happened, really. So what makes you have the authority to come and do this? And they're saying, can you give us a sign of that? Isn't that funny? Because what John is saying is they're wanting something that points them to who you are. Tell us who you are. Verse 19 says, Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? The Jewish people were not understanding at all. They're thinking that Jesus is talking about this physical building, and they don't understand. But it says in verse 21, but he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now, when, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. So it says that the disciples remembered this when he was risen from the dead. All of this begins to make sense. Jesus is saying, listen, you destroy this temple, I'll raise it up again. I'll show you authority. You want a sign? The sign will be I raise from the dead. You want to know who I am? You want to know what authority I have to condemn this sin? I'll give you a sign. You tear this temple down, I'll raise it up in three days. I began to see so clearly that Jesus dying on the cross paid the price for our sin. But 
when he was raised from the dead was the sign of his authority of who he is. In death, he paid the penalty. In resurrection, he showed authority. I wrote a couple of things down that I just want to, they were strong to me, and I wanted to share them with you. I wrote down, I said, last week, we saw the compassion and the love of Jesus for the people at the wedding. This week, we saw Jesus outraged at sin and those who joined up with it, and that it's an abomination and disrespect for God's holiness. Love is in both of these. The temple, God's temple, the presence where God lived, where he presided, where he met with his people was in the temple. Jesus says, my body is the temple. But turn with me to 1 Corinthians, it's on page 13, 12, chapter 3, page 13, 12, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Paul writes here to the understanding that I think is the point of this message today and the understanding that we should take home from Jesus overturning the tables. Starting in verse 16, it says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple are you? Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. I think he's saying that we think we've got it all figured out. We think we know it all. We think we can justify where we are. But Paul is writing and he says, if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5. It's on page 1329, just a few pages over. 
chapter 5, Paul writes, he says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our inhabitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent grown, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. You see, death still has authority over our bodies because of sin, and it destroys the temple. It has the right and it destroys the temple. Death destroyed Jesus' temple until the third day. And then by his authority, he raised it up. By what authority does he have to condemn our sins? The authority that he gave the sign on the cross that he would raise up his body. By what authority does he come and show us our sins and bring us to a place that we might choose which temple will be? Because we will be destroyed as well through death. But Jesus, if he has authority in your life and the power in your life, then he will raise you up and there will be no victory in death. Death will be swallowed up by his authority. The temple. The physical temple was destroyed. Many people believe that when Jesus was talking about this in John, that he was talking about the physical temple that was King Herod had built this temple. It's the third temple, and it was destroyed in 70 A.D. And it was. And so, yes, that temple was destroyed. And many believe that as Jesus was saying, that, he, that John is writing about his body, his temple, that went through and paid the price and died for our sins, but by his authority was raised up. And Jesus is talking about that place, but he's also talking to us today about the temple where he resides in our hearts, in our bodies. That death comes and it looks like destroys the temple. But if Jesus resides in that temple, he will raise it up. One of the things I saw so clearly is that Jesus drove the abomination the people that were creating this disrespect out of the temple, out of the presence of God. 
it's such a picture that we can see when we find ourselves joining up with sin, disrespecting God's holiness, it separates us, it drives us out of his presence. The sign that Jesus wants us to see today is in the resurrection. His authority to raise himself up. He has the authority to condemn the sin at the temple and he has the authority to condemn the sin in our lives. He has the authority to drive it out, to drive you out from the very presence of God if we continue. And he has the very presence and authority to bring us into eternal life and life abundance if we align with his holiness. I pray this has a, a deep understanding and, and begins to challenge each one of our hearts in the places of, of what our temple might look like before if Jesus was walking into this place today, what our temple would have scattered around, and if he would see things that he wanted driven out. I believe that he's constantly driving things out of each one of us, and... and um, I've seen that to be true in my life, that there are always things he's driving us or he's making aware of to me, and I can come and surrender that he might drive those places out of my life. And when he does that, it gives us the opportunity to understand his true holiness and that his love is found in cleansing our temples that he might reside in that place stand with me please Sweet.